Have you found the book of 1 John? The book of 1 John in chapter 5. When I was thinking about what I might uh, teach on today, I was thinking of a number of things, and this uh, came to my thought, and I hope the Lord will help me to just explain something. And uh, the book of 1 John, I came to appreciate the book of 1 John a number of years ago. A number of years ago, I decided that I was going to read the book of 1 John through every day for a month. And uh, so I started reading it. And I, I got that idea from a chapel speaker at Bob Jones University a number of years ago. And I read the New Testament through 30 times. And it took about three years to do that. But I started out by reading a small book. It started out with Philippians. I read it every day for a month. And then I moved to another book, and then 1 John is a fairly small book, and read that every day. And when you get to something like Matthew's 28 chapters, it's hard to read that every day. And so I've divided it into four sections of sevens, and I did seven months, seven months, seven months, seven months. And it took me a while to do it. But when I was doing 1 John, one of the things that I noticed, and this is what you would do, when you read something like that over and over, first of all, after about 10, 11, 12 days, you're thinking, isn't there another book in the Bible I could go read? And, uh, but I, I stuck with that. And 1 John is a book of to know something. You will be amazed, I think, when you read the book of 1 John, how many times the word know, K-N-O-W, or known, K-N-O-W-N, or knoweth is mentioned in this book. God wants us to know. Now, you don't have to know everything but you do need to know some things. And uh, one of those is that you know whether or not you're saved. Now, there are some people who say, well, I don't think you can know that. Let me ask you a question. Which is more presumptuous, believing what God said or not believing what God said? I think it'd be pretty presumptuous for someone to make God a liar. And if you don't believe in this, that's what you make him. That's what he said, too. Uh, so it's not presumptuous. It's, it's a matter of wisdom just to believe what God said. And it'll be to your benefit and mine if we will indeed just believe what God has said. And uh, so you'll, you'll be impressed with how many times that word no. He wants you to know some things. And then uh, I came to the conclusion, most people think 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. And really, in our King James Bible, 1 Corinthians 13 is the charity chapter. Uh, but when you get to 1 John chapter 4, and this is not what we're looking at right now, but when you get to chapter 4, you will be impressed how many times the word love is mentioned. So really, 1 John is really the love book, and 1 John 4 would be the love chapter. It uses that word love, not charity. And uh, both are there because that's what God wants us to have there. So when you read things, and this is why God has given us a Bible. If things are just passed down from ear to mouth, or mouth to ear, uh, you may, and that's good, and that's what they had for some time. And it's good to remember things, but when you, your memory gets a little faulty, it's like this lady, her pastor said, now how long have you been saved? She said, well, Pastor, I have been saved so long that I, I forgot about it. I think I told you this the last time we were here together. And uh, Sunday morning when he gave the invitation, she came forward. He said, now, sister, why did you come forward? She said, I just want to make sure I had what I forgot. And, uh, but God has given us a Bible 
but an unread Bible is almost like not having one. Maybe it's worse because you have it and don't read it. And if you don't have one, you can't read it. And so when God has been so good and gracious to us to give us a Bible, it is to our benefit that we get into the Bible. And it will be amazing what you will learn. That lady who wrote that song, Jesus paid it all. She heard something out of the Bible. And uh, when uh, some of you may write a song after you get in the Bible on a pretty regular basis, and uh, God will speak to your heart, or at least pay attention when Pastor Bill or whoever is preaching is preaching, and uh, God might impress you with a, with a great thought. So the book of 1 John tells us a number of things. And, uh, for example, it tells you why Jesus came into the world. I'll let you find that on your own. It's only five chapters. You might read those five chapters and look for what the Bible says, why Jesus came. Then also in this book, and I'll point out some of these to you, uh, you learn on why he wrote it, why he wrote the book of 1 John. Now, the author of 1 John is the author of the Gospel of John in the book of 2 and 3 John and Revelation. So five books in the Bible are attributed to the beloved apostle John. And uh, he wrote John that you might know the divine power so you can be converted. Uh, there are many things that are written, but not all of them were written down. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Isn't it good that God has written us so that we could believe something and have life? And then he wrote the epistles. This is the divine pattern that you might be conformed to the image of his son. And then he wrote the book of the Revelation that you might know the divine prophecy that you could be comforted knowing that our God has all things under control. You know, he knows the end of a thing from the beginning and he has told us. And only the Bible has a prophetic element in it. No other religious book of any religion has a prophetic element because uh, their gods, which are no gods at all, is... Uh, not one that would know the end of a thing, would not know prophecy like our God knows. So he wrote John so that we could believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And then he wrote 1 John, if you look in chapter 1 and verse number 4, he says, 1 John 1 and verse 4, these things and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So he wrote this book to produce joy. And uh, most people are about as happy as they choose to be. Some people don't choose to be very happy. Now, the Bible uses the word happy a number of times, but uh, the, the real expression that brings happiness sort of depends on happenings. Joy depends on God who gives it to us. And uh, so he said, I wrote this so that you could have your joy full. And in chapter 1, I mean chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. He wrote this book to prevent sin. Now, God says to us, don't sin. But you sin not. Uh, well, pastor's too late. I already did that. Okay, but read on. And if any man sin, now, having said that, if any man sin, does he want you to? No. Sin not. But if you do, it's like he knows we will. 
It's not that you ought to plan on it. Some people, I think, sit in church planning on the wrong that they're going to do either that afternoon or the next day or that week. And you ought not to plan on doing that. You're weak enough that you will do it without doing it on purpose. So he said, look, don't sin. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he wants to prevent sin. And then in verse 12 of this same book, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. He wants to promote forgiveness. Sometimes we don't feel like we've been forgiven because we remember it. And just because you remember it doesn't mean you haven't been forgiven of it. And uh, actually in verse 12, 13, and 14, he uses that expression right unto you. Let me just read it to you. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto young, young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, that is a paragraph of a mouthful of, I've written unto you. Uh, God has written this for us. And then in verse 26, he says of this book, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, those that would lead you astray, those that would get you off track. He wants to protect the saints. I've written this to you. And then in chapter 5 in verse 13, and this is where I wanted to spend a little time. He says in verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Now remember, that was what John talked about back in John's gospel, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now he says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. He repeats it, I think, that you'd have more assurance about that. Now let me ask you a question. Does God want us to know? So, do you know? And how do you know? Uh, there's, there's two ways. Sometimes it's subjective or objective. If you go on the subjective, that's your feelings. Uh, now, be honest with me. Are, are there not sometimes you feel more saved than other times? I mean, when you're really hurting, struggling, and your world's falling apart, and nothing's going right, your dog doesn't like you anymore, and uh, you think, how could I be saved? So you don't feel that way. But objective, that's another matter. And the Bible actually gives us some objective things whereby you would know that you're saved. One of those is the Word of God. Now, salvation, he says to us in verse 11, and this is the record. Now, the record would be the book. Uh, if you buy a car... You want a record that that car is yours to be able to sell. If you buy a house, you want a record that that's your house. You don't want somebody coming in and take your car away from you and say, that's not yours, that's mine, or that's not your house, that's mine. You want a record of that. And God has said, this is the record. God has written this down, and this is the record 
that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Now, you'll notice that this life, it's from God. You see that? Would you notice that it's free? And this is the record that God hath given to us. And then you notice that it's forever. What kind of life is it? Eternal life. And this life is in his son. It's found in Jesus Christ. So it's from God. It's free. It's forever. And it's found in Jesus. Now, when you look at verse 12, this is one of the, the simplest verses, certainly in the book of 1 John, maybe in the Bible. It's so simple. Every word is a monosyllable word. That means it just has one syllable. Verse 12 says, I'm going to say it real slow so I can emphasize the monosyllable. He that hath the Son of God hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Did you catch it? Pretty simple, isn't it? You don't even have to go get a dictionary to look up those words. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Sometimes people, because they, really there's only two religions in the world. When it boils down to it, there's either the do religion or the done religion. And uh, the do religion never brings any peace because you'll never know if you've ever done enough. Uh, no matter what you've done, you would have thought, I could have done better. I could have done more. But if you have the done religion, see, in the done religion, you're not trusting on how good or bad you are. You're trusting in how good the Lord is. And remember, this salvation is from God. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Now, you could be as the old proverbial church mouse, but if you have Jesus, you have everything. Or you could be one of the richest men in the world. You have everything, but you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. You have missed it. I have a friend, Tom Wallace, that went to Brazil back in the days when you had to have a, a visa. And I'm, not, I'm not talking about the credit card. When you had to have a visa to get in the country. Now, typically, they would not let you leave our country without a visa. And uh, today they have some other arrangements. So he did not have a visa because he wasn't aware of that. He somehow slipped under the radar. He got down into Brazil. Now, at the time of this story, Tom Wallace pastored a large Baptist church in Louisville, Kentucky. He was also the moderator of the Southwide Baptist Fellowship, representing hundreds of churches. And at the same time, he was the president of BIMI, Baptist International Missions Incorporated. So he gets to Brazil, he's going through customs, and the, the agent said, may I see your passport and your visa, please? So he handed him his passport, and he said, okay, your visa, please. He said, I don't have one. He said, you don't have a visa? He said, no, sir. He closed his passport, handed it back to him, and said, I'm sorry, you cannot come into this country. He said, sir, you don't understand. My name is Tom Wallace. I am the pastor of and he named off the Beth Haven Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. It was a large Baptist church. <clears throat> and he looked at him again and he said, sir, do you have a visa? I do not have a visa. You cannot come into this country. He said, please, sir, 
but I am the moderator of the Southwide Baptist Fellowship. I represent hundreds of Baptist churches in America, literally thousands of people. He said, sir, do you have a visa? He said, I do not have a visa. You cannot come into this country. He said, please, sir. But I am the president of BIM, a Baptist International Missions Incorporated. I have come to your country to be a help to your people. He said, sir, do you have a visa? I do not have a visa. You cannot come into this country. He placed my friend under house arrest, which meant he couldn't leave the airport. And they put him on the next plane heading back to America. He didn't get in. All because he didn't have a visa. Now, if there's a question as to whether you get into heaven or not, it will be this question. Based on verse 12. Do you have Jesus? I do not have Jesus. You cannot come into this country. But you don't understand. My wife had Jesus. Do you have Jesus? I do not have You cannot come into this country. But, but I have been baptized three times. Once in the Jordan River. Do you have Jesus? I do not have Jesus. You cannot come into this country. I cannot tell you how much money I have given to Christian organizations down through the years. Do you have Jesus? I do not have Jesus. You cannot come into this country. Are we understanding what we're talking about here? Now, wait a minute. Verse 12 says, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you have Jesus, come on in. If you don't have Jesus, you cannot come in. So again, the question is, do you have Jesus? Now, someone says, well, I just don't think you can know whether or not you're saved. Okay, let me, let me sort of sneak up on you another way. How many of you here today are married? Raise your hand. How many of you are, you're pretty sure you know you're married? Now, the question is, how do you know you're married? Now, I'm married. My wife is sitting back there. And let me give you three ways that I can know, and you can know that you're married. Number one, I was there when it happened. I said, I'll do. I do. Number two, I have a piece of paper that says I am. Marriage certificate. And number three, I have this person, this Judy, who claims to be my wife. Now, for the same three reasons, you can know whether or not you're saved. You were there when it happened. Now, in your mind's eye, can you remember right now when it happened? Now, it doesn't mean you're not saved if you can't remember. Remember my story I told you earlier. But do you remember being there when, when that happened? And uh, number two, do you have a piece of paper that says you are? Yes. Look at verse 11. And this is the record right here. This is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life. And there is a person. Look at verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. The Spirit of God is in you. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. So is it more presumptuous to believe God or not to believe God? Remember, not to believe God, he says, he that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Made him a liar. 
because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. So um, how do we know objectively that we are saved? Uh, having said what I said, is it all based on, on feelings? No, there are some things that the Bible says, this is how you know. And if this is how you know, then it's for our betterment to know what he wants us to know. Now, if this is true, what I'm going to show you, if this is true, this is a basis for any of us having the assurance that we're saved. Let's go back and look at chapter 2 and verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him. Now, do you get the idea he wants us to know? And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, you don't keep his commandments to be saved. Keeping his commandments is proof that you know him. You don't, you don't do that to... Uh, bring salvation, you do that as an evidence of salvation. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Good works are important, but not to be saved. Good works are evidence that you are saved. So, do you keep his commandments? Well, are we talking about the Ten Commandments? Well, that, that would be a starting place. Uh, for example, does the Lord want us to uh, read his word? So, do you read his word? Does the Lord want us to, to pray? Does the Lord want us to give? Now, these are things that you could show in the Bible. He's, he wants us to do these things. Does the Lord want us to be a witness for the Lord? Does the Lord want us to be in church? Now, here's one. Does the Lord want us to love our enemies? Now, it's not that you think, man, I'm not batting a thousand on this. But the point is that you have a desire to do what he says. And uh, for the most part, you are doing what he says. You're doing a couple of those things by being here today. Probably got your Bible. You're following along. And uh, you're in the house of God. And uh, when uh, Brother Not had us to pray, you probably prayed, or at least said amen at the prayer he prayed. And then, well, the point is, uh, if you can know that you know him if we keep his commandments. So how do you love your enemies? Well, you, uh, you bless them that curse you. You do good to them. And then when you pray, you pray for them. So all, everything that God tells us to do, we can do. And if we're doing those things, that's how you know. Now, you might be saved and not do those things. But you would not have any basis of assurance that you're saved. Because how, how else would you know that you might be saved? He says, hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, did I show you out of the Bible that verse? Do you think I made that up? No. So right now we're, we're biblical. Then you'll notice 
in chapter 3 and verse 14, how do we know that we know Him? Chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. The question is, do you love the brethren? Are your best friends saved people or unsaved people? Now, does it mean that you can't have unsaved friends? Not at all. You should be friendly to everybody. Uh, you, you should try to want everybody to be saved. You know, we are we're to love like the Lord loved. Uh, I tell people this. I, I hope you'll understand what I'm saying. I love everybody. I love everybody, but I don't like everybody. Do you understand that? Um, you may not like their personality. You may not like a whole bunch of things about them, but you love them anyway. And, um, and then later you might really learn to love them, and, or other might really learn to like them. But the point is, uh, one of the ways that you know that you know God is that you love the brethren. Man, I'm not going down to that church. Just a bunch of phonies down there. And, uh, you know, it's hard to convince people that uh, you love the Lord and you know the Lord when you don't, don't want to be around God's people. Now, God's people can sometimes be some of those people we don't like either. But maybe, remember the old saying of the Indians, if you walked a mile in their moccasins, you might see them a little different. And, uh, you know, if, if we knew some things about some people, uh, it might encourage us to be a little more patient, loving, kind uh, with those people. But the point is, one of the ways that you know is you love God's people. You love to be around God's people. For example, uh, if you hear a car in your driveway and you look out the window and it's the preacher. Oh, my, it's the preacher. He knocks on the door. Don't anybody move. Maybe he'll go away. Now, I can understand there, there may be a time when of all days, when I didn't clean the house, when I didn't wash the dishes, when I didn't whatever, he comes on this day. I, we understand that kind of thing. But if it was an ever time occasion, uh, well, that's a telltale sign that maybe you, you don't know the Lord. Now, it didn't have to be a preacher. It could be a deacon or it could be another, another Christian. Uh, now, probably if you look down the road and you were convinced that they were Mormons or Jehovah's Witness, you might have pulled that off. Or try that anyway. But the point is, according to the scriptures here, one of the ways you know that you know God is you love God's people. Does that make sense to, to us? I mean, we're family. Now, sometimes, you know, police officers hate domestic calls. Here's a guy who's just beating his wife up. And uh, somehow the police come, and uh, the police is going to get after this guy, and all of a sudden this wife will turn on the cops. This guy's trying to beat her up, and she'll turn on the cops, and he's there to protect her. Uh, they just hate those kind of calls. Uh, and in families, two brothers are going at each other, going at it, and then you step in between, you're trying to stop these brothers from killing each other, and then they'll gang up against you because they're family. But the point is, one of the ways you know that you know the Lord is 
because you love the brethren. Number three, we know that we know him in verse 24 of chapter 3. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Now in chapter 4 and verse 13, it's sort of like a little enforcing of that or a little in, uh, reinforce it. Hereby we know we that we, hereby know, no, no. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his Spirit. Now, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. God has sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, if the Spirit of God is in you, one of the ways that you know that you know Him, the Lord, is that His Spirit will guide you, lead you, uh, have you ever heard somebody say something and you said, wait a minute, that's not in the Bible. That's not true. I mean, have you ever heard something like that? What is that little something inside you that told you that's not true? That's the Spirit of God in you. Have you ever had this to happen? You, uh, you're nailing something and you hit your thumb. That morning, you didn't plan to get up and cuss. But it's like that turtle got mugged by those snails. It happened so quickly. Well, if you were to do something wrong, does it bother you? You see, once you get saved, it will ruin you forever from enjoying sin. Now, I didn't say it'll keep you from sinning. I wish it did. But you'll never enjoy sinning after you get saved. You may do it. Matter of fact, the Bible says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And truth's not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. But sandwiched between those two, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If when you do wrong, the Spirit of God says, that's wrong. That's one of the ways that you know that you know him. If you can go do wrong, if you can steal something, you can lie, cheat, all those kinds of things, and it never bothers you, that is not a good sign that you know God. So the Bible is simply saying to us, this is one of the ways that you know because of the Spirit He has given unto us. What a blessing it is. And He abides with us. He, he is sealed to us. So is everybody with me so far? How do we know that we know him? Well, we do what he says. We love the brethren. We have the spirit of God within us. And uh, he rebukes us when we do that which is wrong. And uh, he gives us impressions about things. Now, you want to be careful about impressions. You can be impressed because of a number of different things. The greatest impression about a thing, whether it's right or wrong, would be the Bible itself. But then there's a fourth way that you know, that you know him. This is where we started, back over in chapter 5 and verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Do you have a Bible verse? Well, I just sort of feel like I'm saved. You see, if you could say, well, 
How do you know you're saved? Well, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I believed on him. And then notice how God says this. Uh, you'll never perish but have everlasting life. He attacks it from both angles. You're never going to perish. And you're going to have everlasting life. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, I confess that and I believe that. And the Bible is simply saying to us that thou shalt be saved. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When I was 19 years old serving in the United States Navy, one morning, lying on my bunk, a fellow came by and was witnessing to me. And I'd been witnessed to before. I was under conviction. And that morning, I called on the Lord. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, when you get saved, you don't know all the what's, where's, and which's, and uh, why's, and all those kind of things. And uh, as a matter of fact, when you get saved, uh, there are some things that are true that you, you didn't believe because you never heard them before. For example, you may not have ever heard of the virgin birth when you, when you got saved. But you believed in Jesus who was virgin born. And if that's the case, when you hear about it, you'll believe it. When you hear that which is truth, especially scripture truth, you will believe that when you get saved. God said, this is why I've written this to you. I've written this so that you can know. Remember? Do you know you're married? I was there. I have a piece of paper. And I have this lady. Oh, I was there when I called on the Lord. He's given me a piece of paper, and the Spirit of God indwells us. So, remember this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God Sometimes, and I've had friends who struggled a lot of times with doubt. And uh, there are a number of reasons why people doubt. And, you know, God, God is not mad at you for doubting. He wants to help you. Even John the Baptist doubted. Are you really the Messiah or did we miss it? And he said, you go back and tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the poor have the gospel preached unto them, the dead are raised. You tell him that I'm doing what the Messiah said he would do when he came. And uh, so this guy who doubted Jesus after these, those guys left, he said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? And he said, of all men born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. John may have doubted Jesus, but Jesus never doubted John. That's the way it is with us. You know, I want to read you a story that I, I read, and I read this to Judy. It touched both of our hearts. I'm just going to read it to you. It's called The Whisper Test. Mary Ann Bird writes, I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. 
I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could ever love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class. Finally, it was my turn. I knew that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something. and We would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky's blue. Or, do you have new shoes? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life, Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. God says to everyone who's been deformed by sin, I wish you were my son. I wish you were my daughter. Let's pray together. Thank you, dear Lord, for your grace and goodness and for salvation that's from God, free forever, found in Jesus. Thank you for Pastor Bill Lattell. Would you touch him, heal him, raise him up? Encourage the folk here. And I pray for the Smith family. You'd bless them too. Bless in the morning service. Today we pray in Jesus' name. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.